Welcome back to The Brandon White Show, where we have conversations worth listening to give you an edge to win in your business and your life. I'm your host, Brandon White. Here we go. Welcome back to The Edge Podcast, giving you the edge to win in business and in life. Here's your host, Brandon White. Hey, Jason. Hey, Brandon. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing today, man? I'm good. You got a full setup there in your remote office. Yeah, except I look like I've got a plant growing out of my head. <laughs> it, you can move the plant if you want. It looks like you, it looks sort of, uh, I don't know. I really didn't think about that. Oh, that's good. Let's just leave it. <laughs> no, no one's going to comment on the plant, I don't think. No. I don't think anybody thinks you have a plant growing out of your head. <laughs> Although maybe that's a money plant or a gold plant. Well, I think some people believe there is a, a magic money tree in the economy, but that we can talk about that. Yeah, well, I was when I read about your company, it's a very interesting concept to go back on the gold standard, which sort of I had to brush off some dust on my history, at least in the United States, of which Great Britain, Switzerland, I think Denmark, several other countries back in the starting in 1944, I think, after the World War and then up until 1971, basically all backed on the gold standard. And I think up until about 1960, I'm doing this out of some rusty history and economics, but I think until 1960, the price of gold was pegged at $35 an ounce. And then actually in Great Britain, the sterling had an issue and the price of gold went up to like 40 Five or $50 an ounce, which caused a major issue because of the way the dollar was being swept at in the evenings, I guess, or exchanged at the end of the business day. And you and the United States and Nixon, and I think Burns was the head of treasury at the time in the United States, decided that to quell inflation and to not have a rush on gold effectively because with the way that things were going, everybody was going to exchange dollars for gold. And the United States at the time, I think, held three quarters of all gold in the world and didn't have enough to do that, which would then have decreased the, you're going to correct me on all this, would then have decreased the confidence in the dollar of which then would have taken the dollar off the standard of which the United States clearly did not want and it would have disrupted basically the world economy. So I think in 1971, in August or thereabouts, Nixon, after a meeting in Camp David with all these people, decided that we're going to go off of the gold standard and we went to fiat currency. And it effectively sort of worked in the United States to quell inflation and certainly worked that there wasn't a run on gold and the dollar to this day has stayed the standard. Is that a good history? Well, I think I've got a slightly different take on it. Oh, well, tell me what it is. So, yes, yeah, so you're right in that the, the dollar was backed by gold and um, the convertibility of the dollar to gold had, had ceased for individuals, but governments could still convert their US dollars for gold. And um, at the time, in the, the Vietnam War was costing a huge amount of money. Basically, Nixon didn't have enough money and um, he didn't have enough gold. And de Gaulle, the French president, and you can look this up on YouTube. There's a video of de Gaulle talking in French with sub, you can get the subtitles. And he's saying basically, look, I don't trust you. I think you're printing more dollars than you have gold, you know, such as the temptation. And I think in 1969, 1970, the French Navy, a big part of what they were doing was sending ships into New York Harbor with and exchanging their pallet loads of dollars for gold because the gold didn't trust them. And, um, of course, they just kept seeing their gold going down and down and down. Meanwhile, they had this war which they couldn't afford. And what I, I don't know what else they couldn't afford in the economy. You know, lots, probably lots of things. And so, yeah, they went off. You write about Camp David. They went off to Camp David. It's a fam famous long weekend, and a lot of people have written stories about it. And they decided to come off the gold standard. And there begins the biggest magic trick of all time because they said, hey, we're coming off the gold standard. And everybody said, okay. 
and I, I can only think that they said, okay, because, you know, the axis of power was between, you know, the US was the, was the world power in the West and the Russia was, was still in Cold War. We've got to support the US no matter what their policy is, because they're the ones with the guns and they're the ones going to help stop Russia just driving tanks through Europe. So anyway, I don't know why everyone accepted it. That is my supposition. But, you know, at the end of the day, they came off the gold standard for whatever reason. And from that point forward, they're able to print as much money as they wanted. And that is where the problems begin. Because I, I just I'll say that I don't think that's a different take. I think mm. that is I summarized and jumped over that part, but it is true the French didn't believe it. There was a run on gold. The United States didn't have enough gold, but United States domestically had their own issues at that time, which was inflation. Unemployment was at about four percent. I think they would tolerate four point five, but it mm. Inflation had jumped ironically to five plus percent right now. We see like eight, which is sort of interesting. But basically, and all of the, I feel like that was a British take on the United States not having enough money for the Vietnam War. I'm half joking. But, <laughs> but, but, but I think that domestically, the United States had an inflation problem. And at the core of it, candidly, the United States, from all accounts, did not have enough gold. And, and in fact, did print money, which caused inflation. And basically, we had this stagnation happening. And the only way at that time to basically keep confidence was to move to fiat currency, which, mm-hmm. to your point, once we did that, the games began. Not only did the games begin on dollar printing and all currency, pounds, name your currency, yeah. But the price of gold also changed instantly because no longer was it pegged with the, I think it was called the Triffin. I forget what it was called. There was a policy after 1944 where they had agreed that an ounce of gold would stay at $35. And that all changed as soon as they did that. So gold became its own currency at that point. And to your point, I guess we'll pick up, you know, the games began and the games haven't ended. (laughs) No, and they kind of re- seem to be reaching a crescendo. You know, the amount of money that's been printed is is has been high, and it's become staggering the amount of money that's been created. And I think, in do you mean everywhere or just the United States? Everywhere, but in the United States, of course, being the global leader monetary system, the global standard, the dollar, you've got to look towards it. And I think in, out of all US dollars in existence, depending how you measure it, 20 to 40% of all US dollars were printed in one year during the pandemic. Yeah, I believe that. I mean, you, it's hard to know who to believe and who not to, but there was an enormous amount of dollars printed. And do yeah. not think that inflation follows that I do not know. Pot's legal here in the United States, so maybe the politicians come here to smoke it or they go to Colorado or something. I think in D.C. proper it might be legal too, but for anybody to think that you're not going to have inflation when you print dollars is, is I don't know, sort of crazy, isn't it, Jason? It is, and actually what's interesting is the way they've started using different terminology to kind of describe things. So inflation of the money supply, that is what inflation is to me. The consequences is the cost of living increasing. And yet what's what's become fashionable now is to talk about the cost of living as inflation. And, you know, I was listening, I think, just at the beginning of, I can't remember exactly the dates, but it was about seven days after when Russia invaded Ukraine. And Rishi Sunak, who's the British Chancellor here, got up in Parliament and said, very sorry about inflation, but obviously it is to do with supply chain issues to do with COVID and the war in Ukraine. Well, I'm sorry, inflation was already at 7.1% as he was uttering those words and increasing. It had nothing to do with the war in Ukraine. Of course, the war in Ukraine has created additional inflationary pressures, especially around fuel and grain, but that is not the reason for the inflation. And I read mainstream media accounts all the time about inflation, and they come out with stories that say, why do we have inflation? And they and they list why we have inflation. Well, we have increasing fuel prices. We have increasing food prices. We have increasing cost of services. 
I'm sorry, that is not why we have inflation. That is a result of inflation. Will anyone please ask the question why we really have inflation? And it seems, I don't know if the media have just uh, given up the idea of having any form of uh, kind of investigative journalism, but they don't ask the questions. Nobody wants to know. And actually, it's got to be obvious, hasn't it? If you print all that money, it's got to become worth less. This episode is sponsored by the Halle Financial Team at Expert Lending. Buying a house in today's market is competitive, and you need a lender that can close fast and get you the very best rate. The team is licensed in 48 states and has over 20 years experience in the real estate and lending space and access to lending rates that most mortgage brokers can't get. I know because I'm an investor in the team. If you need a mortgage or know someone that does, call or text Kara at 571-271-9086 and talk to a real human who will give you the customer service you deserve. Again, call or text Kara at 571-271-9086. Now back to the show. Yeah, I mean, that's you, you can replace money with anything. I mean, and, and it's just worth less. It's valued less, but I don't, I can't, I mean, you and I could probably do a whole show on media, media journalism. I can't speak of what it is in the United Kingdom or Europe. Quite candidly, I don't read the news, watch the news that much. I think the only news that actually might be accurate is local news mm. and, and local news because you either report that the fire happened three blocks from now or it didn't or the weather station of which are all public that you can verify, although you could probably alter that data too, but the weather is X and we can walk outside and feel it. But, and I, I, I made my money in media in my first company, but the fact is, is that it is incentivized by clicks. So nobody yeah. wants to understand. It. And I agree with you a hundred percent. If the Ukraine war caused inflation, then why didn't we have inflation as a result of Iraq war, Afghanistan, and five other wars that other countries were fighting either internally or externally with other people? It's just, that's not the reason. There's just more dollars. Well, well, yeah. I mean, and I understand why, I do understand why the Ukraine war is increasing in the effects of, you know, cost of living. I mean, I didn't realize until that's supplies and demand though. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's That's not inflation. That's right. That's right. That's right. But I think you've also got a situation when people tend to not want to think about the fundamentals of things like what is money? You ask that, you know, question. And it's for me, really money. You know, if you, if, if you, if I was fortunate for you to do something for, for Glint or for me, then I would owe you one, Brandon. Yeah, I'd owe you one. I say, hey, Brandon, thank you for doing that hour's work for me. You know, I'll pay, I'll pay you back. I'll do something for you. I'll do an hour's work for you sometime. And so the problem is with that is that this is happening all around us, interactions with everybody every day. And we can't be tr- either trusted or relied upon to be able to remember all of those promises that we have with each other. And so money is the ledger of promises between people is the way I see it. It's a quite a beautiful thing, really. It's the, it's the ledger of promises between mankind. And the problem is, is, is that if imagine I then say to you six months ago, you say to me, Hey, Jace, you know, you did promise me to pay me back then. I say, Oh yeah, about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do 45 minutes for you. Yeah. And he's like, huh? Hang on. What, what, why is that? Oh yeah. Inflation. <laughs> That's wrong. We shouldn't have distortions like that in the ledger of what we owe each other. And that's why gold has stood the test of time through all of civilization. It is people all over the world. And this is the amazing thing. You know, before there was an internet, before there was communication between continents, we all at the same time worked out that gold was the best thing, best form of money that we could come up with after experimenting with all kinds of things, you know, rocks tally sticks, all kinds of gold was the ultimate store of value. Why? Because its nature is not defined by human beings. It cannot be changed. We have a word for that. It's immutable, which is a really great word. It's created when two neutron stars collide. And so as a result, we can't distort that ledger, even if we wanted to. The problem with any kind of money where a human being has defined its nature 
is that over time, even with the best intentions, we're going to make it faster. We're going to make it more accessible. Whatever, it changes. Therefore, it is not immutable. And there are always unintended consequences down the line. That is why gold was the ultimate store of value. And then, of course, we came out with certificates to represent how much gold we had, and we could exchange those certificates with each other. That was what the early the early forms of money were in Venice, etc. And they would become the dollar bills, also promised you to be convertible to a certain amount of gold. But at the end of the day, it was gold. That was that store of value that no one could change. So I have a question. I was thinking about this in preparation to have a discussion with you. The challenge with gold, I don't disagree with anything you said, but the challenge with gold is it actually does change versus something like Bitcoin that will never change. I mean, once they've mined, which we're getting on the tail end of the ultimate number, now you could argue and say, well, they're going to change that. Maybe, but the way that at least Bitcoin is set up is that it will not change. It will be a finite amount of Bitcoin that you could ever have. Do Are they going to make it faster and all that? Of course they are because it was never designed for transactions and they're going to need to build software on top of it to facilitate to make it faster so that I don't wait an hour at the grocery store to get my, whatever I get, eggs and milk. But gold does change. And I'm you, you've built Glint for listeners Glint is backed by gold. It's literally trading gold. But gold, there's more gold coming into the system every day. And gold price changes. So when I paid X with Bitcoin in 2014, you know, I effectively paid an incredible amount for whatever I did. I forget what I did. I thought it was cool back then. So we did it. But, you know, I probably paid 20, whatever it's trading at today, $20,000 or something. But Gold does change like that too. So how does gold stay constant without effectively having market makers in the market to stabilize its price? So gold itself doesn't change, but its supply, you need, you can mine some more. And less than 1% of all gold above gold stocks is mined every year. And what we have is uh, on the other side of that, we have Gold being lost as well every year, you know, circuit boards being lost in the ground, etc. So, yes, its supply is very gradually increasing, but it's not, it's consistent. So the more we mine, the less we have, the deeper we have to go, the harder it is to find, we get better technology we develop to try and find it, but it's consistently below 1%. And I know it works because it's lasted for 3,000 years and worked as that, as that, so even even without having to analyze this, I know the output is for 3,000 years, it works and it continues to work this day. And so I might not have all the answers about exactly how much is mined, what that does to the supply, how does that affect markets. I'm not an expert in any of that. But I do know that it still is the most trusted store of value in the world, globally, everywhere, by everyone. And We've got to take some, you've got to, it was just a, something that's a, it's a, it's a reality. Central banks, even all of them, uh, rely on, 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 on gold. They're not buying anything else. Now you've brought up Bitcoin. And I think it's a fantastic mission that the bit crypto community have. And it's one that I have a huge amount of affinity for because it's, it's kind of along the lines of why I set up Glint, which is there is a thirst to have more control over our own money to have more certainty. And the only way that people believe that is possible is to be able to have a form of money that's outside of the government's creation, you know, not fiat, to move away from fiat currency. And so I, you know, I wish the cryptocurrency the best of luck and we, and, and we'll have time will tell whether or not the cryptocurrencies stay as a, a risk on asset or eventually mature into a risk off store of value. We won't, we don't know yet, but I, um, I have nothing against cryptocurrency at all, but I think it's very clear that it is not gold 2.0. It is a totally different form of money, which one may or may not work in the future. Why don't you think it's gold 2.0? I don't disagree with you. I mean, gold's been the standard and maybe we don't mine it. So supply and demand doesn't change that much as it relates to true supply. 
literally how much gold is in mm. the safe in Switzerland. I think some of the gold that I have is stored actually in England in a vault somewhere. But the I think the Bitcoin, and I'm not talking about Eurythium or other things where they could add coins to the base, but if you have a finite number and you don't mess with that, then arguably at that point you have true true supply demand, but you still, what I am trying to reckon with and when I saw Glint and I read about it is you still need market makers, it feels like, to stabilize the price because if I, my 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 dilemma paying in Bitcoin is the same dilemma I have paying in gold. Is today I could pay in gold and overpay ten percent because tomorrow the price goes down, and the same happens for the for the suppliers where the dollar, while it is, we both agree imperfect, does have market makers who are stabilizing it. Well, I, I, I don't know. I'm not quite sure about what you're talking about, but I think I, I, I have, a, I, I do have a view on something that maybe you're banging on about, which is effectively you're saying, I think that US dollar is, is the form of currency that people are pricing products in. So, you know, you go down to, you buy, you pay your mortgage in it, you pay your bills in it and stuff. And so you know, that is the, that is the currency that's being used within society. And therefore, the problem, therefore, is you have a effectively an exchange that has to happen between this other currency. Now, whether it's euros, dollars, pounds, Bitcoin, or gold, there's an exchange to happen. And of course, depending on the confidence that people have in that currency, will depend on what that exchange is. And actually, what I say to people is, it's not that the gold price is going up and down. Gold is the only thing that's not changing. It's it's the confidence in the dollar or the pound or the euro, for instance, that's going up or down and generally down that makes it look like the gold price is going up or down, generally up. And of course, if we price all of our goods, if, if, if gold or Bitcoin, you know, if they get critical mass and people start pricing their goods in those currencies, then you won't have those exchange gap problems that would come from the situation we've got at the moment. What my customers and what I, we believe in is that Gold is that reliable form of money. So it's no, it's more than just beating inflation. It's about saying it's also reliability. It's no one else's liability because, you know, when you put your money in the bank, it ceases to be yours. It's lent out to other people. There is risk embedded in the system there. Gold, if it's, if you buy real allocated gold, of course, it's yours in the vault. It's not, it's free from that risk. And it also protects you generally from inflation because on average, you know, since 1971 to 2019, gold prices given a 10.6% return. So effectively what it's done is it's kept above inflation. In fact, in my lifetime, I was born in 1917. In my lifetime, the purchasing power of the dollar has decreased and the pound. And probably I've not done the analysis, but I, th- I think nearly all fiat currencies, certainly the pound and the dollar have, have their purchasing powers decreased by over 85%. Just think about that. It's nearly become worthless. And yet gold over that time, its purchasing power increased by over 500%. And as we've been discussing, gold has been the store of value, has been money, has been the medium of exchange, even with its via certificates and via dollars. It's only been since 1971 that it ceased to be that medium of exchange. And I wasn't saying, <laughs> I've lost my track now. But oh, it, that's okay. So, yeah. so that... I'll fill in here because I do have a question and it'll come to you. I know it will. Is with Glint, do you prepay gold? Do you prepay for your gold? The gold, I mean, you're backing. If I have $50 on my card, is that how it works? Then I effectively have $50 worth of gold in the safe or it doesn't work that way? No. So what happens is what, what Glint has done is, as we say, we've made gold everyday money. So you have a multi-currency account. So you have gold and you have a wallet and you have a US dollar wallet. When you open your account, you have nothing in it either. So, you you know, you obviously, you either transfer some funds into your account or you rely on somebody to send it to you, to your Glint account, because you can also send funds between one Glint account and another. And so I start off, I, I transfer some funds in via wire transfer, an ACH transfer, a debit or credit card transfer, when I've got my US dollars in there, I can link my Glint card to my US dollars if I want. So 
that's it has utility it's a i've got dollars in my account of course i should be able to spend them but what you can also do and it's what most people do with glint is they they buy gold with those dollars and 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 you can buy as little as one cents worth of gold or millions of dollars worth of gold if you've got those dollars in your account now at that point your us dollar wallet is debited and your credit and your you know you have now bought that gold and effectively what you've done is you've bought a small amount of a gold bar that's actually sat in switzerland in the vault run by Brinks, which is the one of the world's biggest produce, uh, you know, custodians of gold and pressure, other precious metals. It's insured by Lloyds of London. You now own that gold. It's allocated to you legally. You own it. And you can link your card to that. Now, when you take your card into a hotel or into a shop and you swipe that card, a message, a, a request comes from the merchant to MasterCard. Is this transaction any good? MasterCard send that transaction to us. Our platform says, okay, Brandon, how much gold does Brandon have? What's the transaction worth? What's the conversion rate of gold to the currency of the invoice? In this case, it's US dollars because he's paying for a hotel in New York. We then do that calculation. If he's got enough gold, we approve the transaction. All this is done within 200 milliseconds. We sell just enough gold to cover that transaction, either to one of our other customers who's buying gold at the same time, and the bigger we get, the more often that happens, or back to our liquidity providers who are the ones in Switzerland who have all that gold there. So you're always backed by gold and the transactions, the liquidity is there for us if we want it. Yeah, that's how we make gold everyday money in the existing financial system. But of course, what we also have, as I said, is this growing peer-to-peer network where I can send gold from one person to another and other currencies. Now, we have that everywhere in the world except the U.S. In the U.S., we can only transfer U.S. dollars from one account to another. But I don't think it will be long before we're comfortable with the regulatory framework to be able to enable the gold peer-to-peer transfers as well. Well, I got a bunch of questions. One is the interesting part of what you said is gold is actually appreciated in its its ability purchasing power, Mm -hmm. which is very interesting because – the return that I had, and I forget what it was, I think it was over 20 or 30 years, was 7% a year. But the interesting part is, is that inflation hasn't really affected gold, so its purchasing power has gone up. So if you had an ounce of gold in 1970, you're going to be able to buy a lot more than you would with the equivalent dollars. Yes. So you almost start thinking to yourself, which is, obviously why you came up with this company and concept is if you keep your money in gold, stored in gold, your quote unquote cash, in theory, over time, not within months because it's going to fluctuate, but over time you actually accumulate more purchasing power. That's exactly right. And in fact, purchasing power can increase in in months. And of course, in most of the world, as we've seen a flight to safety, we've seen money move into two things. You know, as the stock, as the stock markets crashed, as the cryptocurrency markets have crashed, as currencies have become worthless, they've moved to two safe havens. They've moved to gold and the dollar. So the dollar is still considered the best out of all the fiat currencies. So what you have a situation is, is that the confidence in all the other currencies has dropped. For instance, and, and therefore, the amount of those currencies needed to buy the gold has gone up. So the price of gold, for instance, in pounds has gone up 14% year to date. So you're in a situation where in dollars, it's kind of going up and down, but basically sideways because everyone moved to both of those forms of money at the same time. But the sec- but if you look at our customer base across the UK, across the US, around the world, our biggest growth area is in the US. Because I think people fundamentally know that gold will outrun the dollar eventually and that the problems we've got in our economies and the inflation are not going away and that it's all going to end in tears soon. So we might as well have our gold. It's more reliable than anything else anyway. Yeah, I think the risk there that going through my mind and maybe a listener's mind, and I'm interested in your answer is, okay, sure, gold's gone up 14%. It always happens. When stocks go down, people are going to move their money into more secure things like gold. Gold goes up 14%. Inflation's 8% or whatever you believe, whatever's been revised this month. The 
And interesting enough, I don't know that even the way that I see it, I've never seen something like this, and maybe that's why it's so hard to get your head around, is some things actually, there's inflation in some things that are compounded by a supply chain issue in a just traditional supply and demand on top of dumping an enormous amount of dollars into the economy. And you also have, as my friend Sean, who's a CFO of a of a large company said, you have pull forward demand that happened. Basically, everybody in the pandemic used their dollars to buy that TV that they wouldn't have bought that year, but everybody's sitting on their butt and they decide to buy a new TV when they bought it, would have bought it in three years. And now what we see, especially in apparel, is a glut of inventory, which is not rocket science. I mean, it's basic supply and demand price. Now they're sitting on enormous amount of inventory. They're going to have to liquidate that. And meanwhile, dollars has gone on. I mean, I'm, I'm talking out loud here and you're shaking your head, but I'm saying it for listeners because this is, you, you have so many, it's just not simple. It's so many levers that have happened here. And then you throw a war on top of it, which isn't like you said, inflation, but it's supply and demand issues, especially in Europe is a big deal, especially when you're talking about an oil pipeline that people are conflicted about now because they don't want to take the oil. But if you don't take the oil, Europe markets, I don't know, Jason, lose their shit for a lack of a better way to put it. Like, because they have no replacement because they shut down all the nuclear plants 10 years ago and it's going to take 20 years to get them online. I mean, I'm not painting a doomsday. I'm just saying it's not as simple as people may want to make it. And I think net net, I'm playing it out in my head doing the math is, is storing your money in gold could long-term be more secure, but you're going to have to stomach that when tech stocks, I'm going to pull them out, come back, people are going to dump the gold and put it back in tech because they're going to be scared they're going to miss the run. And and I'm being completely transparent. I am long on tech, like mm-hmm. really long, mainly because tech's not going away. Sure. In fact, there's going to be another revolution with the the new generation of computers. Quantum We're going to need new computers, software. yeah, whole, whole new evolution and all kinds so, of amazing So they're going to pull that money out. Are you worried that the price of gold as a result of the conversion rates decreases so effectively you you lose 14% of your money in gold? So look, there's no doubt that there are multiple factors that affect the inflation, of, oh sorry, the increasing cost of living which we're experiencing. And there's no doubt that fuel problems and grain problems because of the war have put fuel on the fire. But again, inflation in the UK, for instance, is at 7.1% before the war. Okay. So, so this, and, and it's without doubt. I mean, everybody knows that gold maintains its value over time. It's like this pull out all the charts, you know, it's just, it just has, and it does. And it's gone through so many different problems and different scenarios. It's going to continue doing it, but you're absolutely right. There are times when confidence in these fiat currencies comes back, when, for instance, they want, you know, tech stocks are going up, you want to sell your gold and give it to, the, to, to these owners of these new tech companies, companies like Glint, you know, to see whether or not that you're going to get a good return. And that's actually something which I've, which I relate to very strongly. I, for instance, say to my team, let's ban the word investment in relation to gold because it's only being considered an investment. And therefore, compared to the stock market, since we came off the gold standard in 1971, you know, so now people, well, if you can't use it as money, what is it? Oh, it's an investment. It's not. It's just a store of value. People say to me, it doesn't have a yield. Well, of course, it doesn't have a yield. It's just money. You know, if you put your money under the bed or in a vault, it won't give you a yield either. But if you give it to a tech entrepreneur like Glint or Apple or whatever, then yes, it might give you a yield. It also might come to nothing too. So... I think it's really important that until you we enter a world, for instance, where gold is the dominant global currency and everything is priced in gold, you've got to have the choice of being able to move between, you know, your your government currency and your private currency, your private money being gold and your government currency being the dollar or the pound or the euro or whatever. 
So within the Glint app, it's very important. I've always said you've got to be able to have your dollars. You've got to be able to swap your card to spend your dollars. You've got to be able to save them. You've got to be able to swap between them quite quickly. We've got to make it really efficient and cheap to be able to do that. We've got to in- reduce the friction, et cetera. So I absolutely agree with everything you're saying. What made you come up with this idea? So, you know, for somebody who's disrupting financial services and kind of the role of central banks to a degree, I'm not from financial services. So I came from a more creative background. I studied architecture for six or seven years for my sins. And I got involved in virtual reality the first time it was cool back in the early 90s. So I was working, having lots of fun working on, you know, how you could use VR to control robots in hazardous environments like nuclear power stations, seeing that you mentioned it, or visualizing what the Sydney Olympic Stadium looked like before it was built. You know, this is back in the day where Pixar just created their bouncing white lamp. I mean, it was very early days. Most architects, you know, didn't understand what visualization was. And I had a great fun doing it, working with some really interesting people. I got to uh, visualize St. George of the Queen's, St. George's Chapel after it burnt down to show all the builders and the engineers what the amazing vaulted ceiling had looked like. I worked with famous artists on sculpt new, you know, large scale sculptures and helping visualize what they might look like when it finished. It was a great time. And then from that, I, I moved into multimedia and then web development and e-commerce. And back those days, there were, there were no backend e-commerce systems didn't exist. So I had to hire teams of engineers. I had to hire teams of designers. Actually, these are words, aren't they, which we use in architecture. So it turned out that my architectural degree was the best possible education for this emerging digital ecosystem. And effectively, I started developing digital architecture instead of physical architecture. And I, I really enjoyed it. And we, my company that I'd founded uh, you know, developed and ran the e-commerce for some of UK's top high street retailers like JD Sports. We did watches of Switzerland, manufacturers in Europe like Weidmuller. And that's the world I was in. And um, in 2008, I'm sat in front of the TV like most people are watching banks go down, Lehman Brothers go down. Hang on, these are the people, that, you know, banks that couldn't fail, etc. Watching the world come to the brink of complete financial meltdown. And actually, if you listen to the chancellors and the people at the Fed at the time, they that's really where we were hours away from a complete meltdown of the whole system. And um, that was a real shock to me. You know, I thought it was the first time that I realized, like I think a lot of people, that when you put your money in the bank, it, it ceases to be yours. It, it then becomes a liability of the bank. It is put at risk, normally for an interest rate return. But as we've experienced over the last 20-odd you know, twenty odd years, it, and we haven't had that. So we've been putting our money at risk as well for no return. And that's when you start going down the rabbit hole and you start asking the questions and not just kind of being a lemming that's walking down the street. So well, hang on, that's why we're on the subject why did a burger cost me 55 cents when I was younger? Now it costs $4. And if I'm in LA, it costs 20. What, what's going on? Has the burger got any better? Does it taste better? Does it bigger? As you know, I, I think d- it's worse for you now. It has more chemicals in it, depending yeah. if, you, if you buy something organic grass fed right. and not. Yeah. You know. And what, what happened to technology? You talk about technology stocks. You've got a lot of confidence in it. I have too, you know, but when I was young, I was watching the Jetsons and we all had to envisage this future where everyone would be like, flying around in, in cars and stuff. Well, we might get there yet with drone cars and things, but we're not there yet and it hasn't happened. You know, technology should be a deflationary force. Things, everything should be free. What happened to the utopia where we don't have to work? Everything's done for us by robots. Everything's expensive. And in fact, economists believe in, in inflation. They want it. They like things to get more expensive. And that's when I went down that rabbit hole and started looking at all these facts, you know, why we're in finding out the dollar and the pound had lost so much of their purchasing power. And I came across gold and that was my fate. Maybe if I slightly different sliding door, I might've got involved in cryptocurrencies, but uh, I, I came across gold and realized it was the ultimate store of value still was, will always be. And I was like, well, the only problem with this stuff is that since we stopped using the dollar as a certificate for this goal, we can't exactly pop down to the local supermarket and use it to buy some groceries. It can't participate in electronic payments, which is what a lot of people, what they said is the problem with gold is you can't use it. And I, and, and we'll come back to that in a minute, really. I kind of don't like the way some people in the crypto community have started, had this drop gold campaign, buy Bitcoin. Gold can be used in the, electronic payment system and glint has done that 
And I, I do it all the time. I paid for my taxi to go to an event today. I paid for dinner last night. I get on a, a scooter, you know, a rental scooter to, you know, electric scooter to go through town. I pay for it with my gold. You know, it can and does participate in electronic payments now. So yeah, that, that was, uh, that was in 2008, but I, I had a, it took me a long time to work out how to do it. A lot of everyone told me, you know, a lot of people told me anyway, you won't be allowed to do it or you, you can't do it. You know, the system doesn't work like that. You, what, you, how are you going to do that? And I worked out eventually after digging and digging and digging that, you know, if we built a payment stroke trading platform hybrid, that we'd be able to do this. And it's taken a lot longer than say most what you call fintech neo banks because they haven't created a zero to one business. They've created an iterative improvement on an existing banking system, generally by creating just better app experiences with better reporting that tell you you've, you've bought too many pizzas this month. But actually what Glint has done was a proper step change. And that took time because we could not use the incumbent system. So for instance, in London, all the big neo banks, uh, challenger banks like Revolut, Monzo, Starling, Curve, these these, some of them of which have come to the US, they all use, for instance, a platform created by a company called GPS, Global Processing Systems. We couldn't use it because they didn't enable gold as money. Now they do any of the banking systems. So we had to create our own. And that's cost us a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of patience needed. And uh, there's been lots of problems along the way that we've had to solve, but we've, we've got there. And now we have 150,000 customers across you know in the US and the UK we're onboarding 15,000 new ones every month that's increasing it's great it's great fun and it's great to see people loving loving the product they love it look on Trustpilot you know we get we have 15 i think 1500 plus reviews and most of them are five stars and we and of course brought down a bit to 4.6 cuz some people have a bad experience but um sorry about the that that minority but the most people have a great time with the product they love it because it's more than a product it's a revolution. It's a mission. It's a vision. It's, it's more. I think you get that with cryptocurrencies as well, of course. Yeah. I think there's something to be said for, I mean, when I read about Clint, I don't know. There's some security or I don't know how to describe it other than to say it just makes you feel better that you, your money is in something, meaning it's in a safe. It's this solid molecule that people want. I mean, it's different. It's definitely a different feeling. My money in Bitcoin feels, I don't know, it just, there's nothing, it's just a number, some number based on something. It could go to zero. It could. My money in the bank, I've always said, feels a little risky to me. I mean, you're really not insured. I mean, you're, you are insured, but unless you split your money up, I think the FDIC insurance is $250,000 or something. Yeah. I could be wrong. No, you're right. But so now if you have a million dollars, and I understand not everybody has a million dollars, but your money's at risk. And then if you put your money in a brokerage, I've always felt like this. I was like, what happens if they go away? Like, should I take a screenshot? I mean, could someone say I Photoshop that? I mean, how does that work? Like, how does that actually work? And then should you put money in different brokerages? So if one goes down, you can get some out of somewhere else. And someone listening to this could say, well, Brandon, you, you're a doomsday guy. I'm not a doomsday guy. I'm just actually spending some brain cycles on thinking about what we're actually doing. And I think, Jason, the truth of it is that I've realized is most humans in the world don't have all of this extra time, brain power, or calories, literally, to think about that my money is at risk when they're trying to get the kid out the door with the peanut butter and jelly sandwich, the Capri Sun, and the bag of Doritos. Like, I get and it. soccer practice is at five thirty. I do get right? it. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I do. Everyone's, you know, it, yeah. Crazy, but we need we need people to be free thinkers and to question what's going on. I mean, it's really important. And for instance, I think, for instance, that central banking digital currencies are the biggest threat to civil liberties that we've ever had and ever faced. And actually, that is as big a problem, if not more, than inflation. 
And, well, and who's asking the questions? Me. No one's even, I mean, most people, if I walk out in the street, won't even know what I'm talking about. And then if you're listening, you don't know what we're talking about. This is central banking. This is the central bank, the Fed or the government, the Bank of England here saying, we're going to create a current, we're going to take our currency. It's the same. This is the other thing. It's like a, they're trying to rebrand it. We're going to take the same trashy cash they, that they've created that they keep on printing. They're going to now put it into a digital blockchain ledger or whatever. And now you're going to have an account with the central bank. You're going to say, well, who, who's going to want that? Well, they're going to pick a crisis to make sure that the transition happens, you know? So the next crisis where you want a paycheck and they're going to give it out to everybody. Oh, but you've got to have, you've got to have. And the same way you had to have like a, a, an account with the medical registrar or whatever in each country to show your COVID status, you're going to have to have a central banking digital currency account with the Fed or with the Bank of England in order to get your payout. And so everyone's going to, they're going to all going to go towards this. And they're going to say, oh, by the way, it's also safer, of course, because this is the central bank. So the bank can't go bust. This is, this is the central bank. And so there's going to be all these reasons. And I, and I, and I, and, and this, it kind of goes back to this whole thing about, Anything that's defined by human being can be corrupted because I'm sure the people designing these people, and I've met them and they're really great guys. A lot of them into tech and everything. They've got fantastic ideas about how these CBDCs can be a good for, good for the world. You know, we can speed up international payments. You know, we can get checks to those in need faster, et cetera. I agree. These are all important things, which actually I think can be done without central bank and digital currencies. And what we've really got to be looking for is what's the solution that's really trying what problem is the solution trying to fix look at the fundamental issues here who's going to benefit most and you start to look at it and you think gosh well there's no reasons why banks won't get in disintermediated because when you've got a central bank and digital currency why would you need to have a bank account oh but you've got to be able to borrow money well hang on the central banking system can do that and it can do it algorithmically i get i get an email every day saying just hook up your account system to our api and we'll just tell you how much we can lend you because they get straight access to all your information they'll know everything about us they'll know exactly what you're buying when you're buying it who from you know? and so what happens then as well they start looking at you and they start saying well this is where the temptations come in they say well why don't we, instead of just having these blanket approaches to interest rates, let's say, Jason, you're eating too many chocolate cakes. That's not good for your health. So we're going to ban you from, you go, you, you know, your card, your account app's going to get declined when you go in and buy some more chocolate cakes. You've hit your quota. And they're going to say to, uh, they're going to say to me, well, you're spending too much money, you know, so we're going to increase your interest rate with the central bank. But to somebody else, maybe my partner, they're going to say, you're not spending enough. We're going to decrease your interest rate. All this control starts to happen and they just won't be able to resist it. And the surveillance is going to be off the charts. And I said, and I, and, you know, I was speaking to my girlfriend about this the other day and she said, you're kind of over exaggerating a bit, aren't you, Jason? You know, this whole thing about the biggest threat to civil liberties. And I said, you've got a very short memory. Everyone has. Like what happened to the fact that we all discovered that the NSA was 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 spying on everybody in their own citizens as well, blatantly, illegally, you know, across hundreds of millions of people, not just in the US. Our own country in the UK, we were doing it. Everybody's been Every, spying on everybody yeah, since the dawn of man. Absolutely. Anyway. Yeah. So the point is is that they do it. And that and then, you know, what we don't you've got a you've got a role model about exactly how it could end up in China. They're the first ones to implement a full digital Yuan. And that's, you know, that's a, they, they've got their central banking digital currency. And they've also got these social credit scores, which we, which have, there's evidence to say they've been experimented with in the UK as well. Social credit score. Well, we didn't like the way you mentioned that you talked about the government, Jason, or the Fed on your podcast. So your social credit score, when it comes to set of social responsibility, has just gone down a bit. And therefore, that might affect how much money I can borrow. Or worse, if I do a demonstration against the government, you know, in my lorry, for instance, like it happened in Canada, they go, do you know what? We've just decided to stop you giving access to your money like they did. They actually stopped people's bank accounts when they could work out who they were. So... I think this bit of conversation came about being woke, effectively, about what's going on in the in the economy and with our monetary systems and our governments. And I wish more people would wake up. Well, I think that the challenge with the digital currency that the central bank is now basically panicking because tech people invented the blockchain and basically don't need anymore if enough people get on board. That's effectively, and they're panicking, which if you're in that position, you probably are panicking. 
The issue is, is that not that they're going to use blockchain for me. The issue, which you've, which we've talked about, but we didn't explicitly say is they actually get the key, meaning they get the key to right now on the blockchain for Bitcoin. You can't find me. The only way you find me is if you know what my number is and I control that, not anybody else. The problem with that digital currency that central bank is they've got the magic code to find out what Jason's doing or what Brandon's doing. And therein lies the nuance that is ironically the exact reason that tech people invented the blockchain and cyber, cyber currencies is because they didn't want that. And I don't disagree with you. I, I guess it's a scary thing when you start to unwind it. I don't think enough people understand the China situation quite candidly because they don't go to China. I studied in China in 2005. Amazing. I studied part of my MBA there in Shanghai and Hong Kong, just as Hong Kong was on the verge of transitioning. The thing that shocked me as an American kid was that China was nothing like I had been taught. Nothing. I thought we were going to show up there and people were going to be wearing tan suits and and sweeping the highways. And I showed up to the most modern city that I had ever seen. And I'm a pretty well-traveled guy. Yeah. And skyscape, more cranes at that time were in China than anywhere else in the world. And for those listening, why that may sound geeky, there's a limited amount of, of high-rise cranes in the world. And you can determine where economic things are happening by tracking cranes. Yeah. And yeah. in fact, countries were building buildings in Shanghai that weren't going to be occupied so that they could do business in China. That's literally how it works. So, and I don't know if it still works that way, but that's the way it did work. But all I'm saying is, is it's until you immerse yourself in China and you go to Nanjing Road and understand that, I don't know, there's like things there that cost $500,000 and, and, $10,000 purses, and you say, well, how could that ever happen in a communist country? It's because it's not communism. It is controlled capitalism. And one might argue that it's the ultimate king and queen ruled country. People don't describe it that way. Mm. But if you unfold what's really going on, I mean, how long can a ruler rule there? I mean, it's a, a I agree with you. It. Totally extraordinary. I mean, I, I was in Hong it, Kong in 1990, 91, you know, practicing as an architect, young architect. That's where I discovered my first computer in virtual reality. The city was amazing, Hong Kong itself. But then I, you know, Crazy. then I went to Beijing and so not Beijing, Guangzhou on the ferry. I, I ended up, I mean, I had a fantastic trip. I, I ended up going up to Beijing and then getting the Trans-Siberian Railway across Russia and arrived in Moscow. The day Golbachev was kidnapped by Russian generals, taken to the south, I think what was the name? Prada, which is the name of the newspaper, declared communism as dead on the newspapers. Moscow, the, everyone was demonstrating in Moscow. The buses were out, the Molotov cocktails, wow. crowds, hundreds of thousands of people. I would have been scared as... Well, when you're, when you're like 20, you think you're going to live forever and it's all very exciting, you know, and, and, and Yeltsin was the guy who was, uh, was in what they called the White House, all of this. But that was all very exciting. But my point is, is that in Guangzhou, the, I, I, before we set out on our journey, we decided to treat ourselves. We were going to stay in the best hotel in Guangzhou before this journey uh, of hardship across China and on this train across Siberia and Russia. So we stayed in this hotel and it must have been about 10 stories high. And the whole city was beneath us. There wasn't one building that was bigger than three stories, I think. I go back there, I don't know, 15 years later, I was blown away. I, I'm at the top floor of a skyscraper that's probably like a hundred floors up. I'm staring out the window with a, with a cocktail in my hand and my drawer is on the floor. I cannot believe what I'm seeing. They have effectively built the equivalent of New York in 15 years. And it's just, and that's happened across cities all over China. It's been extraordinary. And of course, but again, coming back to inflation, because the dynamic with China, I think is really interesting on this. Why haven't we experienced more inflation, you know, with all this money that's being printed every single year? What, you know, what, what's the, what, why have we not experienced more? Well, because we exported our inflation. 
When we came off the gold standard, we started buying all of our microwaves in China. So we exported all the manufacture of all of our goods to economies where they were willing to work for hardly any, any money at all. And so can you imagine though, if we'd had to buy, have those manu, if you have, for instance, today have to make all those things in the US or in the UK, it cost a fortune. You know, if I want a pair of jeans that are actually made by some, a, a, you know, a US or a British per, craftsperson in, in the US or in the UK, it's going to cost $400 for those jeans. We exported that inflation. Now, those Chinese took all those dollars with open hands. They amassed them. And now two things happening. They've come back to the West over the last kind of 20 years. They've been buying all our assets. They've been buying all the properties. London's a you know, huge amount of London. With own, our money. Yeah. With money that we export, we gave to them to build these things. And that middle class, that lower class, which was willing to work for very little, has now become a burgeoning wealthy middle class. And they don't want to buy, build microwaves or, you know, half a dollar a day. And so now we're having to start to make things ourselves and, and look elsewhere. And that's why that's also push, pushing prices up. And that, that's why one of the reasons why we haven't, we, we haven't uh, experienced inflation as much as maybe we should have. I want to come back to, to Glint real quick. Are you intending that there's really no way for those transactions to be anonymous? Is that right? Yeah. I mean, look. We, I, I think this is the one of the biggest differences between Glint and the, and, and the blockchain movement. I think where, where Glint does, where it scores well on, um, the fact that, you know, it's got tried and tested. Its volatility is very low, like about a tenth of what cryptocurrencies are. It's regulatory accepted and proven and all across all over the world. Our system's very scalable. We don't have any problems with scalability. It works across the cloud rather than the blockchain. It's very efficient. The costs are very low. Doesn't matter how many transactions are happening. The gas fees don't go up on Glint. You know, you can try and hack it if you want. You might screw around with our ledger, but at the end of the day, I, to my knowledge, we haven't found a way to dematerialize gold out of the vault and send it along the wires and doesn't take the energy of a small country to run. Now there's lots of benefits. There's also, I, I admit, I think that one of the challenges is around the fact that the blockchain is not just, sorry, the ledger isn't distributed. We decided that. For all of the reasons above that I talked about and the fact that the gold is centralized anyway, that the ledger might as well be centralized. But yeah, we have a, we, but you could decentralize the ledger we, eventually we, and make it we, on the blockchain. We, we, we could and we might do. And, it, but I'm, you know, I'm a technology guy who decides to use technology when it's needed. Certainly mm -hmm. for now, we don't need it. And I think the idea that somehow, you know, this protects us from government is false because, you know, most exchanges, that we have, I think most people own their cryptocurrency through exchanges, you know, like Coinbase, et cetera. A lot of them are all centralized databases anyway, you know, subject to the regulatory controls of the governments that we're in. And we all have to comply with. But you're in Switzerland, right? So that no, so transactions, we all, we all have transactions won't come out. No, but we all have to comply with KYC and anti-money laundering rules, and we do. We take those very seriously. We've taken the approach of embracing the regulators because we don't want to be shut down. But, you know, of course. Various rules. So, yeah, it's a definitely a, a really interesting concept. It threw me for a loop mainly, and it took me a minute to figure out what the hell you were doing quite candidly. And then I was like, huh, well, if I'm going to, and I know you don't like the word invest, but it's on a, I, I would offer you that it's an all, the way that I'm thinking about it is it could be an alternative investing strategy that I can actually use as currency versus holding all of that stuff in my Vanguard account under an ETF that's backed by gold. Yeah. So I can get a Glint card and now I can invest and spend effectively and hedge my bets against inflation by holding my money, quote unquote, in gold. You could. You know, you can look at it that way. And a lot of our customers do. You know, personally, though, the philosophy that I have is it's just money. If you want to put your money at risk and, and, and risk it and put it into a venture, right. that is an investment. And it's just a store. And it's great. The fact that, you know, purchasing power, what, what really, what, what really is important. You look at the fact that purchasing power of the dollar or the pound is decreasing so much. It just shows that actually your investments in stocks and shares haven't really returned what you, what they should have returned. I mean, for instance, right now, it's really obvious if inflation is at 11%. In the UK, it's 11. In the US, it's just under... Is it 11 in 11. the UK? And they're predicting wow. it's going to be at 18. 
And what? yeah, this feels like 1980 Listen, again. You know, in the US, it's at whatever eight, but in New York and in LA and in Miami, it's more than eight. It's probably 15%. Yeah. Cause inflation is, a uh, is, you know, localized. It's different for different people, depending on what you're buying. If you're on lower income, it might be even worse for you. So yeah. I think gold since 1971 to 19 gone up to over 10% and, and the stock market generally about 11 and a half. So it's kind of marginally better. I mean, I don't like getting into all that kind of stuff because you pick certain dates and things you can manipulate the no, data. No, I understand. And stuff, but, you can manipulate data. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, you, the, you want, but think... my point is, is that my point is, is that it's just money and it's a form of money, which you don't really have to risk. It can't go to zero. Never has done. Never will. It can't be disappeared. Yeah, you can't steal it. You can have a drop a nuclear bomb on it. It'll just be <laughs> atomized in a very thin layer. Right. I mean, you really can't steal it. So no. it's definitely interesting. I'm going to get a green card if I qualify. I think we, you know, we really embrace the cryptocurrency movement. I, I'm all supportive of the whole thing. I hope Bitcoin develops. I think as it develops, I think it's become gradually over time will move from a risk on asset to a risk off asset. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, it'd be great to have more than one genuine private money in the world. Not and, and at the moment, it's kind of a risk-on investment asset. That's how it behaves like one. But in time, it won't. We're creating a bridge to cryptocurrency. So you'll be able to buy gold with cryptocurrency. You'll be able to sell your gold into cryptocurrency. We're not going to add cryptocurrency wallets into our platform. That's certainly not on the radar at the moment, on the roadmap. But you were going to be able to facilitate this. And so, for instance, people who maybe feel that they've got gains in cryptocurrency ecosystem can maybe m- decide to move those gains to sell their share, you know, their, their cryptocurrencies into, put it into gold. What you know, you don't want to be putting it back into a, um, into a fiat currency for sure. And then, and that's the, that's the challenge right now is when you sell your crypto, it sits in the dollar yeah. or another crypto, yeah. Whereas with- which, yeah, in Q1, in Q1 of next year, I really hope we can have the ability for you to move those gains into another very reliable, independent form of money outside of the banking system. Well, it's a very novel concept, and I'm excited for you and to see how it evolves. And there is some peace of mind. That's the word I was looking for earlier in our conversation to know that your money is actually a thing that sits in a vault that you can touch. I took a long time to decide what glint should be called. And glint, of course, is, you know, if gold is security, glint is its key. But more than more than that, it, we chose the name glint because it is offers all all a glimmer of hope. That's good. I, I feel like we should end there, Jason, but I always ask our guests for three HPTs and I was struggling to think about what sort of advice you would give. And, and I think for listeners out there, well, well, you think about that just for a second, there's really never one strategy. I think what you offer is a very novel, secure, interesting idea to allocate some of your funds of which I will. I mean, I'll, instead of sitting in an ETF, gold ETF, I'll get a Glint card, which seems pretty cool. And the fact that I can buy like one cent. I'm not saying I will. I'm just saying the ability it's not like these minimums and all this crazy stuff that you find with other stuff. What sort of advice would you offer listeners out there as it relates to really currencies? And I don't really know how to explain what we've been talking about all day. <laughs> well, first of all, when it comes to gold, you've got to know what you're buying. And this is really important. You know, wherever you buy it from, I think, for instance, everyone should have some physical gold at home as well. Wherever you're buying it from, if you're buying it online, if you're buying it through an app, you're buying it through a broker or anything like that, you've got to know what you can buy. And you, generally speaking, you can buy unallocated gold. What does that mean? It means that you've bought the gold, you kind of exposed the price of gold, but the custodian of the gold can lend it out. So don't, in my, in my humble opinion, although I cannot offer financial advice, this is just my opinion. <laughs> Do not buy unallocated gold. Unfortunately, actually, check it out. You sometimes have to do a lot of deep diving in the terms and conditions to find wow. out where you're getting it from. You buy, it turns out you're buying unallocated gold held in a vault that's run by a central bank of a government. Probably not what you intended in doing, right? 
The second thing is sometimes people buy gold through what's called ETFs. A lot of wealth managers will say, oh, I've bought you some gold. You haven't. You've bought a share in a fund that might or may or may or may not be backed by gold. So look at what the nature is, what you're buying. Do a little bit of homework and, and, and find out. With Glint, for instance, it's all allocated gold. It's yours. It's physical. If you've got enough of it, you can have it delivered. So the second thing I'd say is cost average. Cost average. You know, you talk about we, we, we don't price products in gold, we're pricing products in fiat currencies. And those, as I said, the confidence in those fiat currencies can go up and down. So the prices of goods around you can go up and down. Cost average in because therefore you will get a nice smooth entry into the price of gold. You're not going to end up buying your gold at the peak, all of it, and then selling it all at the at the at the at the drop. You, you don't want that to happen. And that can happen if you just wait, you save up and then you buy some gold. You know, you can buy as little as one cent's worth of gold. So use that. You know, set up a standing order so that you're buying a little bit of gold every week, every month, every quarter, whatever. And then that reflects the other way around. You're spending it in, in your daily life. You know, you're spending it every day, week or quarter. So it kind of all averages out. And then I think, what did Steve Jobs say? I don't know, something about be curious, ask questions. We've all got to do that. Please, let's have a more questioning society. Don't just believe. Just don't just like accept what you're told. Don't even believe what you're in your own echo chamber. Accept I'm in an echo chamber surrounded by people who love gold, but I'm the first one to want to have a conversation with somebody who tells me it's not very good. Let's, let's, let's talk about it. You know, let's have a chat. What, what's your ideas? And I think that's a big problem in society right now is that people have lost the art of debate. They've lost the art of listening. Everybody just wants to shout at each other. They're not willing to open their mind to other ideas. I admit, I'm a long way from thinking that I'm perfect, and I, I'm sure I've got lots more to learn. In fact, the older I get, the more I learn, the more I know I have to learn. I'm a very different person than where I was when I was 18 years old. So let's keep that curiosity. Let's keep that inquisitiveness, please. Let's ask the questions. Amen to that. Where can listeners find Glint? From their favorite app store. Just type in Glint or Glint Pay. I think it comes up, Glint, the global gold currency. Download the app. As you said, I think something like 80% of all people get approved automatically because we can see, link you up with your, you know, different numbers and your data. If you don't get approved straight away, you might have to supply any, you know, utility bill or something like that, but try it out. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Put $10 in, order yourself a card, have it delivered and, and spend it. The fees are very low. Only half a percent when you, when you, uh, buy gold. You don't, this is something actually. No one, even our clients, even our shareholders sometimes don't know. When you spend your gold, we don't charge you anything. So the round trip from buying to selling only costs you half a percent. And the reason we don't charge you anything when you sell it is because the merchant gives us something. Every merchant, when they've got a Visa or MasterCard machine, gives the issuer some money. We get 1%. So we don't need to charge you when, we, when you spend it. If you sell your gold in the app into US dollars and withdraw, it's going to cost you another half a percent. You can top up your account for free with an ACH transfer or a wire transfer. But if you use debit card, we're going to charge you because we get charged. But there's flexibility and options in there. You can just buy $0.10 cents worth. Like, go and try it out. See what you think. I'd love to hear from you. No risk. We'll put all of that into, I don't mean no risk. There is some risks. Probably the FD, FCC will yeah. be auditing us, Jason. Yeah. The, there is some risk, but... You can read about it. I'll put everything in the show notes. Jason, thanks a lot for taking time out of your day to talk about gold. And it's been a really fun conversation. Thank you, Brandon. Bye, everyone. 